Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate it, is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Riding shotgun today as my son Matt actually takes the helm, so I can pay a little more attention to you, and a little less attention to the ass clowns and their cars around me. Um, we are going to continue today with uh, having an intro segment about a current event or something that's going on with the focus staying on ass clowns. I actually had somebody email me and said, I don't like the tone of your new intro segment because you're so negative. Well, I, I do the best and worst of the ass clowns, so I tell you something good they did and I tell you something bad they did. Um, but why am I doing this? Because I don't want you to believe the bullshit that you're told every day about how great things are, how hunky-dory things are, how they really are out for you. I want you to see what these people do on a daily basis that nobody really pays attention to because we're more worried about things like who gets voted off an island or who wins the American Idol competition or I don't know, something really important like the 400th rendition of how Michael Jackson died. You know, those are much more important. So today... I want to talk to you about this event that won't go away, which is the whole issue with uh, Professor Gates and Officer Crowley. I'm going to tell you the best and worst of our ass clown president again. Remember, I said the ass clown was an ass clown for getting involved in this thing in the first place, especially when he didn't know what the hell was going on. What he said when he was asked about it is, I have a personal bias, and I don't have all the facts, which should have been followed by anybody with a freaking sentient brain and gray matter between their ears with, so I cannot comment on it at this time. Instead, he said that the officers acted stupidly. Well, stupid is as stupid does, Mr. Ass Clown. So the Ass Clown does something that when I first hear it, I go, right on. This makes sense. The Ass Clown is going to get Gates, and they're gonna, he's going to get Crowley. He's going to bring him up to the White House and have a beer with him and sort it out. And I thought, you know what? That actually makes freaking sense. To put the two people with the problem in a room together, and since he's the one that made the problem worse to be part of it, sit down, have a beer, rash it out, and say, hey, look, man, you know that you were an ass, and you know that maybe you didn't have to take him to jail, but you know you went to jail because that's what you wanted. Now, the two of you need to agree not to act like this anymore. Let's put this thing to bed and move on. It's what's best for our country. We don't need to be talking about this. I thought that was a great idea. Until I heard the ass clown's going to have it be a media event. Yes, there'll be cameras and people and photographs and, you know, reporters, and it'll be a great big press event. Let me give the ass clown some advice as an old military leader um, that's done this exact thing in the past with soldiers that had a problem with each other. The whole reason you sit two men down across from each other to have a beer and act as a mediator between them to sort out a problem is to take third parties, annoyances, distractions, and any need to puff up or act out out of the equation. That is why you put two men in front of each other with a beer to discuss an issue. Not so you can get a press up. So 
once again, he takes something that seems to make sense and turns it into a freaking disaster. And who's a bigger ass clown than the president? ABC News. Because they're running a headline story, which beer should they choose? It doesn't freaking matter. It's about two men sitting down as equals, enjoying a beer together, sorting out their problem. The president doesn't get it. ABC News doesn't get it. Hopefully you do. Uh, honorable mention for an ass clown. I, I, I can't really say much yet because uh, I hate to say this. He could be right depending on how he's being taken out of context or not, but I doubt he is right. Jesse Jackson has come out and said that the mortgage crisis is due to racial profiling. I don't know if it would be racial profiling, but profiling indeed uh, is part of the problem there. But because I have a personal bias in that I think Jesse Jackson's an idiot, and because I only heard it on the news just now and I don't have all the facts, I can't comment further on it at this time because I don't know what I'm talking about yet. So we'll look into this, and I'll either give the man a reprieve or make him my ass clown of the day tomorrow. We shall see. Um, with that, we'll go in and do our housekeeping. Number one, make sure you're supporting our advertisers. You can check them out at thesurvivalpodcast.com or thesurvivalpodcast.com, depending on how you say it, what part of the country you're from. You say the or the. But without the the or the the before Survival Podcast, you're going to somebody else's site. Our advertiser of the day is Tea Party Silver. Uh, they are an awesome, awesome company. Uh, I bought product from them when they applied to be an advertiser before I even approved them, before the moderators approved them, and I have their coins in my firebox at home as part of my silver portfolio. I recommend that you consider that uh, for your silver uh, uh, savings as well. Next, consider joining our forum. Um, I'll leave it at that. I'll just tell you there's great people there, and you'll learn a lot if you become part of our forum, become active in it. Uh, Next thing, at the forum, there is a board for individual regions. Region 6 is having a get-together in September. For more information, you can check out a thread in that board and get in touch with Shannon Appleby, who's got some great presenters lined up for that. Uh, Next, uh, Member Support Brigade. If you think this show's worth more than a quarter an episode to you, Consider joining Member Support Brigade. You'll get exclusive content available only to members. I need to say something again because it keeps coming up. Member Support Brigade is not related to the forum or the blog in any way, shape, or form. If you become a member and support my show, I appreciate you, I thank you, and you get exclusive content. That is it. The end. That is all. On the forum, you get no special privileges or enhanced rights. You must comply with the terms of service of the forum. If you're commenting on the blog, the terms of service with the blog, you don't get additional privileges because you're a supporting brigade member. It won't work. It's not a trump card you can throw down when you don't like what happens. I'm sorry, because they're not related to each other. On that note, you don't have to be a member support brigade to participate. Most of the board members are not. Most of the blog posters are not. So you're free to post anything you want within the site's terms and service. If you are confused, please go to the survival Survivalpodcast.com. Look in the center column and down under pages you will see disclaimer and policies. Click on that and you will get informed.
informed as to how that works. Next one is, I talked about my book list yesterday, and I'm starting to put together a list of books that, uh, that are available on Amazon that I actually recommend, endorse, and own. People are having trouble finding it. Again, center column of the survivalpodcast.com, under pages about the third link down, you'll see book list. Click on that, you'll see my book list. Uh, that book list will be expanded over time. Next, the blog reading is coming. I've had people sending me blog articles to read on the air. Just haven't gotten to it yet. That will happen. I'll do at least a couple this week, and we'll get them lined up to do in the future. Um, next thing, I forgot to mention yesterday that I was on James Stevens' podcast over the weekend. I sent out an email alert about it um, on Friday for people to tune in and listen. It was a great show, uh, right about an hour long that we spent together. Uh, James has a wealth of information. He's been in the preparedness industry since 1974. Uh, wrote the book, Making the Best of Basics, which sold three-quarters of a million-plus copies. Man really knows what he's doing. He's got a great show. Recommend you check it out. I'll put a link today so you can listen to the show uh, that we did together. And that wraps up the housekeeping. But I have a follow-up from yesterday before I get into today's show, which is how do you emotionally deal with and how do you you know, practically deal with losing your job as a personal disaster. Um, yesterday, I was talking about storing guns in your home, keeping them safe from kids, keeping them safe from criminals, and I said, as an aside, and in a second I'll tell you a way to... Um, protect a large amount of weapons very affordably compared to buying like a great big heavy duty gun safe. And then I didn't tell you. So a couple people emailed me and said, hey, what's the, how do you do it? Okay, well there's these very lightweight gun lockers. They sell for right about 100 bucks. They usually hold between 8 and 10 guns depending on their size. And if you look at one of them, a, a, a grown man can easily pick one up and carry it upstairs, downstairs, what have you. When it's full of guns, it's kind of heavy, not so much. So the weight thing is actually an advantage if you have to like take it upstairs, for instance. And, and if you think about those heavy gun safes, getting them in and out of a house empty could be a real problem. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, just you got to think of that. So my thought was you take two of these um, low-end gun lockers... And you take them upstairs and you find a big closet in your home. And you put them in the closet side by side and you bolt them together. So now they're bigger than the doorway out. You then run some tap screws into your floor joists and bolt it to the floor. And then into your wall studs bolted into the wall both behind and push it into a corner. And bolt it into the adjacent wall in the corner. Um, It will be all but impossible to get out. And then if you want some added security, put yourself a hasp on each door. Or put yourself a bar hasp that goes across both doors with a large padlock. Now, can somebody get in there if they really want to with the right tools? Of course they can. It's going to take an awful long time. It's going to make an awful lot of noise. Burglars don't like to spend time and noise. So that is a way for $200 that you can secure about 20 long arms and a variety of pistols uh, in a very effective way. And when you move, it won't be a big chore to move those lockers to your next location. So that was that part. Left it out. Got distracted probably by an ass clown on the road. Um, So, what do you do if you lose your job? Just right now you've lost your job or it's an eventuality you might have to deal with. And I always say that losing your job is a disaster. It's a disaster on a personal level. It's like any other disaster that we deal with. We need to deal with it the exact same way. 
So because people don't accept this as a disaster, they don't put it on par with a disaster or a survival situation, maybe is even a better way to think of it, they tend to not follow the rules of survival. So let's go to something that seems totally divorced from losing your job. You've taken a day hike out in the woods. It's starting to get dark, and you realize that you're lost. You have no flipping idea which way is north, south, east, or west. It's cloudy out. You can't get the sun. You don't have a compass. You've completely lost your sense of direction at this point. You don't know north from south, east from west. You're confused. You're in deep woods, and you don't know what to do. Most people that listen to this show would know what you do is you stop, assess your situation, fortify your position, and adapt. And after you do all that, you make the decision of how to act. And in that situation, the action you would probably take is setting up some sort of a shelter, trying to get a fire going, and waiting till morning when you have a full day's light, and you can use at least the sun for some orientation at that point. Maybe you can use some, some of the stars or the moon overnight to get an idea of at least which way is which, so you can have some idea of where the hell you're going and mount yourself either an evac plan or hole up and wait for rescue the next day. All right? So what do people, when they do, when they lose a job, do? They freak out. They start panicking. The first thing they usually do is they call a trusted friend or family member um, to try to make them feel better. And I can't fault that, but it doesn't really get a lot done for you. And then they start freaking out about all the problems that they're going to have. And then usually they have some knee-jerk reaction where they go out and spend some money they shouldn't spend to make themselves feel better like it's going to be okay. And then they usually have a pity party where they think about all the reasons that shouldn't have happened to them, and they seek out other people who have lost jobs so that they can feel better about it. Um, that is not the way to handle your situation. What you need to do in that situation is initially, right up front, say to yourself, I am not a victim and there are no excuses. I don't care if you were laid off after 20 years with no severance. You're not a victim. Um, it ain't that bad. It ain't that big a deal to lose a job today. Now, I know some of you that lost a job are pissed off at me right now. But I'm going to tell you the reality is it isn't if you choose to adapt to it. As a prepper, if you listen to this show, you're probably some level of a prepper. You're preparing for things like a storm blowing your house down. You're preparing for things like a global pandemic. In comparison to that, it ain't that big a deal. You can handle it. And you need to get that straight in your head psychologically first. If you do that, you're going to be okay. And as long as you're playing the victim, you won't find something better than you had. You'll find something worse than you had. You will take a step down in life. Because as long as you're walking around with a victim's mentality, that's all you're going to believe that you deserve. And you won't be willing to risk again to move up in society. Understand it's happened to better people than us. And I won't say you because that's too confrontational, accusational. Than us. Perfect example. There's this guy back in the 90s named Jimmy Johnson took over his coach for the Cowboys. Cowboys sucked. Worst team in the league. Record when he took over? One win, 13 losses. This is back when they paid 14 games in a regular season. Um, within a year, he took him to a Super Bowl and won. Then he took him to another Super Bowl and won. And because he didn't lay down and agree with ownership, he was fired. Putting this in perspective in the real world, it would be like you're a salesperson. 
You go to work for a sales company, and you take a job where there's 26 sales territories, and your territory is the crappiest territory in the world or the nation, depending on where your, your company sells. In a couple of years, you become the number one salesman in your company, and you do it two years in a row, and then they fire you because they don't like the way you did it. You feel like you got screwed over, and you probably did, but you're still not a freaking victim. Go out and find a new job. If you're that good, somebody else will give you an opportunity. So you can't be a victim if you choose not to be. The next thing you need to do, though, is you need to get real mathematically. Go home, sit down, and if you haven't done it yet, smack yourself in the face for not listening to me all these other times I've told you to do it, and run a budget. Run a household budget. See how much money that you have and how much money you're going to have coming in and how much savings you have. How long can you survive under your current burn rate, your current spending? And immediately you're going to determine, hell, i got to cut some spending. And you might have to shut the cable off. I'm sorry, you just might have to. You might have a membership to like a DVD rental place or something like that. Every month that you pay, you might have to cut that off. You might be a member of my member support brigade and contribute $5 a month to me. You might have to cancel that. I don't care what it is. Increase your longevity immediately. Because it will take pressure. It will make you feel like, I have time. And that will allow you to continue the assessment and adaptation to a new reality. You have to take as much pressure off as you can, and you do that by decreasing your burn. That's how I would advise any business person. Your business is going into the hole. Your cash projections are in the next 60 days, you're going to be break-even. In 90 days, you're going to be in debt. And in 60 days, you're going to be bust. Or 30 days past your 90, 120 days, you're going to be bust and out of business. My first advice, buy yourself some time. Cut your burn rate. Cut salaries, lay people, doesn't matter. I don't want to cut salaries. My people don't, you know, you don't cut their salaries, they get fired sooner. Go into a survival mode with your business. Go into a survival mode with your life. That's what happened. You are CEO of your house. And your business of your household just lost its primary source of revenue or one of its two spouse income. You've lost 50% of your customer base is the way to look at it if you were a business. So, obviously, you can't continue operating at the same burn rate. So you cut that back and you cut like a maniac. Because if you figure out you can't live with something, trust me, whoever you cut will take your money when you want to come back and uh, once that's done you need to reach out and start networking do not rely just on the internet and monster uh, before I go on yeah file for unemployment and I know some people would say Jack how can you say file for unemployment you're so big on not being dependent on the government and welfare and everything let me be clear unemployment is not welfare unemployment is insurance you paid for it you don't get unemployment unless you work for a specific length of time. And then it only replaces a portion of your income for a specific period of time. To say don't draw unemployment will be like saying if you have car insurance and you get in a wreck, don't use your insurance to pay for the damage to your vehicle. That would be dumb. Not taking unemployment when you've paid for it out of your pocket with money the government has taken from you that's been used up till now to provide for others is also dumb. Go get your unemployment. Um, 
as you start looking for a job, do not just rely on like Monster.com, Jobs.com, the newspaper, the internet. Start networking immediately. Phone up everybody you know and say, hey, look, I'm just wondering, you know, do you know anybody that's hiring right now? Or anybody that has a, a situation that they, they're not sure what to do about? And what I mean by that is, a lot of times a guy says he's not hiring, but what he'll say is, well, my sales are down. Well, he might be willing to take on a commission-only salesman if you think you can do the job. And since it's commission-only, until you make some money, you don't stop drawing your unemployment, and it doesn't cost him anything. So that might be a good time to see if that's a new fit for you. And that's just one example. So go out and start networking and look for businesses that are trying to uh, capitalize on opportunities or having specific problems that maybe you can address. Don't just ask the question, are you hiring? It's what, what businesses do you know that are having some problems that could use some help solving them? That's a totally different way of asking that question. And I'll tell you, as a business owner, even if I'm not hiring, I'm going to have a dialogue with you if you present it to me that way. I'm going to say, this person's different. They're thinking differently. They could be an advantage to my company. Maybe I can create a position or an opportunity for them. And if I can't, this is the type of person I'm going to be comfortable referring to another business owner. Because like attracts like, and business owners know business owners. The next thing I would tell you is be willing to work for free. You're thinking, well, that doesn't solve much of my problem. right? I need money. Is I lost my job. I'm on unemployment. It's only paying me like 25% of my old income. I've cut all my expenses. Doing everything I can to survive. My kids are going without. I'm going to be out of savings in three months if I don't find some other way. And then I'm really in trouble. And you're telling me to work for no money? I don't get it. Well, you see, if you go work for free... Finding somebody that will give you an opportunity just got a whole lot easier. Now, don't go work for free for someone that if they hire you eventually is going to give you a minimum wage job. Unless you're trying to replace a minimum wage job, then I guess you would do that. You find a company that they just look at you and go, I'm not sold on hiring you yet. So I'll tell you what, let's do a 60-day free internship. I'll show up every day and work. You got nothing else to do. You don't have a freaking job. Since you're not getting paid, you won't lose your unemployment compensation benefits. If at the end of those 60 days, he doesn't want to hire you or give you pay that you're willing to take, that's between you, him, and the fence post. You don't need to tell the unemployment commission. And if you're not an ass clown, the whole 60 days, you're still looking for a better opportunity. But now you're creating something for yourself. And at the end of that 60-day period, that company's either going to want to hire you or want to help you, one or the other. Or you suck. And they're going to say, this ain't for you. Go find something else to do. Odds are that isn't going to happen. So be willing to work for free. Be willing to take a free internship. Be willing to prove yourself. That's sorely lacking in today's day and age. And I don't care what your skill set is. That can be used and leveraged. Because if somebody shows up at my company today and says, hey, I'm really good at search engine optimization, and I know you're not hiring right now, but I'll work for you for three for 30 days. Give me some projects. Let me go. Let me take off. Let me show you what I can do. You can judge my results at the end of those 30 days. There's a seat. Robert, get him a computer. Let's go.
Why the hell would I say no to that? I'd have to be an ass clown myself to say no to such an offer. Because the worst thing I get is 30 days worth of kind of shoddy work that I don't pay for, which still has some value in it. And I get to evaluate somebody much better than I ever would in two or three interviews. So if you're willing to do that, I guarantee you in this day and age, there's an opportunity for you, young man or young woman. And if you're 60, you're still a young man or a young woman if you take that approach and that attitude. And I think you'll be surprised at the response you'll get from the small to mid-sized business owner that you approach with that. Do some intelligence and some research. You've just been given an opportunity to go work for whoever you want to. Find out in your neighborhood, in your community, in your city, in your town, what is the one company that you would love to work for? Find out who's in charge of hiring people with your skills or with the skills you're willing to acquire at that company and go see them and make them that offer. Don't phone them up. Don't anything. Go to their office. I'd like to talk to Robert whatever or Tom whatever. And say, Mr. So-and-so, I'll research your company. Here's what I know about you. You serve this kind of customer in this kind of industry, and you've been around since this long, and the people that work for you are really happy here. I'd like an opportunity to work for you. And he'll probably tell you right now, like everybody else with the downturn, we're not really hiring, or what are your skills, and we're not really hiring that right now. I'm you know, impressed that you came in here or whatever. So, but I have an interesting proposition for you. Right now I'm unemployed. I lost my job due to whatever circumstance that was. Be honest about it. And uh, I'm looking for the opportunity to prove myself. So I'm willing to sign on with you as a 30 or 60 or whatever period of time you're willing to free intern. All I ask for is a desk and some guidance in what you need done, and I'll work eight hours a day for free for you for a 30-day period. At the end of that period, you can evaluate my performance and decide whether I'm worth creating an opportunity here for or not. See if you don't get an opportunity. You can do that in one day. That'll do more in one day than a thousand resumes blasted out by email on Monster to people that judge you just on the resume. Now, the resume is still important, and doing those other things is still important, but here's my next piece of advice. I sit in a room every day with a room full of recruiters. They're recruited to the technology industry. And I listen to their conversations as they're screening candidates. And I listen to their conversations that are more interesting between them that the candidate with the resume never hears. And I listen to them go, oh, this guy can't do this because it doesn't say so. Oh, he's not right as a manager because he's too much of an engineer. Oh, there's no way he can handle the engineering function because he's too much of a manager. And I'm thinking, you guys are freaking morons. What you need to do is take that resume, call that guy up, and talk to him. Because you don't work for the company that's hiring him. You work for the company that's recruiting him for a fee. Your job isn't to screen him out. It's to figure out what he does. And I get on their case about it all the time. But it's a predisposition that people have that you're going to have to deal with. And a lot of times what happens is they'll call that guy up who looks like a manager, and they'll say, well, how much technical experience do you have? And he goes, well, I was really looking for a managerial position, but I'm open to anything right now, and my background is highly technical. Here's all my technical skill sets, all right? And then they'll go, oh, wow, well, this guy's highly qualified. In fact, the fact that he has management experience to go with this makes him more advantageous, and maybe he can move up the chain even as a contractor, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Okay, it almost never happens, though. Unless there's somebody with my maniacal attitude listening to the conversation, you've just been screened out. And what that means is you need to have 
several versions of your resume and cover letter. And at a minimum, you need three. Uh, those three are... Okay, so those are... One should exemplify whatever your technical skill set is. And that means, like, it's not just necessarily computer skills when I say technical. If you're a carpenter, it should exemplify the technical skills you have as a carpenter, your framing capability or, or whatever. If you're in construction, your ability to work on equipment or to use equipment, whatever the mechanical, technical aspects of your primary skill sets are, you should have a resume that really highlights that. You should also have a resume that highlights your managerial, your management, your oversight, your quality assurance, anything that you can think of that's in kind of an administrative oversight function. You should have a resume that highlights that. Now, these resumes will have a lot of the same things on them, but the main things that stick out at you on one are technical and the other is managerial. And your third one should focus on the parts and aspects of your job and experience that are more marketing, sales, slash customer service related. You should have at minimum those three. And people say, well, is that trumping up a resume or lying about your past? No, you never lie on a resume because if the company's worth a damn, they're going to know you're lying after they interview you. And even if you're good at faking it, a little bit of calling around and checking your references and just going, hey, did this guy do this at your company? You know, it, you, you know is this what he did? And they'll say, well, we can only tell you the name, you know, how long they worked and whatever. Say, no, I'm not asking you to give me a judgment. I'm just saying, did he actually use Excel in his job? And they go, yeah, I used Excel. Okay. Right? And they'll call your references and they'll, they'll, they'll check your references. And they'll call their own people that would probably know you through the industry. They're going to do research on you so you don't lie on a resume. But it's quite often the case that a guy that's, let's say, something like a software engineer works with the customer end user and ensures customer satisfaction, works very hard at that, and is a huge part of his job to making sure that the customer continues to be bought into the projects he is working on. Make sure the customer is served. A lot of times software engineers, hardware engineers, they do what amounts to sales presentations. They go into the customer and they show them how this is going to work, why it's going to improve their efficiency, why it's worth the money the sales guy told them they're doing a sales function. They're often very good salespeople in the right technical sales environment. So they need a resume that exemplifies that part of what they've actually done. On the other hand, if they are being interviewed for a position that is core-centric software engineering work, they need a technical resume. And if they're looked at as being a position where you're going to be in that software environment, but you're going to be leading and managing and running a team, you need to exemplify that. So you need to be sending a resume that matches the position to each individual position. Screw one resume. That's a great way to lose 90% of opportunities. And it's what's happening to a lot of people right now, and they have no idea that's what's going on. And those experts that they bring on, Oprah and Dr. Phil and all these other nonsensical shows, won't explain it to you that way. They'll say, you need to really exemplify your management skills. You have all No, you don't. You need to exemplify all your skills in multiple snapshots and apply the right resume to the right position because a resume doesn't get you a job. Bob.
It gets you an interview. Interviewing gets you the job. A resume is a marketing piece. Your job when you go in is to close the sale in the interview and sell yourself to the company. Get that into your mind right now. So just like marketing, if I was marketing one piece that was going in direct mail to women, and I was marketing another piece that was going to be on a primarily men-oriented website online, those two marketing pieces would look different because my demographic is different. When you're marketing yourself to employers, your demographics are different. When you're applying to go to work for um, you know, Chase Bank, it's going to be different than p- applying to go to work for Intel. All right, and the reason I picked those two companies, I'm looking at the Intel building and the Chase building on the tollway as we drive into work right now. Doesn't matter what the companies are. It could be Pizza Hut, that's the building right next to it, or Marriott, that's the building after that. Each one of those companies is a different demographic, and they're asking for a different specific position. Match the position to your resume. That'll get you in the door, and then you can evaluate them, and they can evaluate you on equal footing. Next thing you need to understand is your priorities as you're cutting your burn rate. They're very simple. Staying in the house or the apartment that you live in, so you're paying your rent or your mortgage, your utilities, and feeding yourself. Those are your priorities. No way around it. No two ways around it. That's it. The end. Everything else after that is something you may not pay on a given month if you have to, including credit cards, especially credit cards. They go last. I'm not saying to stop paying your credit card bills. I'm saying if you have to not pay something, feed your family, keep the lights on, and stay in your house before you don't pay anything else. Then i got to tell you this. i got to tell you this flat out, man. There's no such thing as a job that's beneath you or too low for you or, you know, that you shouldn't take because it's, you're not, you know, it's, it's just not, it's not commensurate with your experience or some other nonsense. If it's an honest job for an honest wage, for an honest living, and uh, it'll keep you out of trouble financially and give you something to prop things up with until you find something better, humble yourself a little bit and realize that you're starting over and take the freaking job. It doesn't matter what it is. It's going to be easier for you to find a good job while you're employed than while you're unemployed. Now, people have this myth, well, hunting for a job is a full-time effort. And, well, you know what? When you're coming to me to get hired, and I say, well, what are you doing right now? And you say, I'm unemployed. You've just told me something about yourself. When you say, well, I took a job because I needed money, and I wanted to take care of my family, but it's really not what I want to do. It's just a short-term thing, and this is what I'm doing and who I'm working for. Believe it or not, the lower the status of that job, the higher my respect for you, um, especially if you have the skill set necessary for me to hire you. I'm telling you that as an employer. I'm telling you that to somebody who has hired and fired dozens and dozens of people. My, my respect for you goes up. I may be unique, but I don't think I am because I talk to a lot of people with my attitude that also run small to mid-sized companies. And, and that's flat out. I look at it and go, man, this guy's willing to go out and, you know, put shingles on roofs in the heat, pour tar on the road, whatever. You know? He's willing to do that. And this guy's actually got some technical skills. His family's important to him. He's going to do a damn good job here because his job's going to be important to him. I'll give him a chance. And then my final thing, and I almost started with this, but I didn't want this to come off like too much of a lecture at you for not being ready. But it's important that we understand as preppers in our survival mindset and our modern survivalism, however you want to define yourself, if you were fully prepped, 
If you had six months to a year's worth of food put away, if you had a good solid savings account, if you were debt free, if you'd worked the last four to five years of your life to get yourself into that situation and you got fired, you wouldn't even care. You wouldn't even give a shit. You'd be like, you know what? Thank you. I appreciate you firing me. Now I can go find something I love more. You'd go out to the bar or wherever your place of choice is for social activities and buy around and say, hey, everybody, I'd like to celebrate a change in my life. I'm moving on to something better. I don't know what it is yet, but this is going to be fun. And then you take all the steps that I just gave you, but you do it with a hell of a lot less stress, pain, agony, and a hell of a lot more joy in your life. And a hell of a lot better of an attitude. And then every potential employer that you talk to, you're going to have a better presentation about yourself because you're not stressed or worried. And now even though I go, well, what are you doing now? And you go, well, I'm unemployed right now because I'm looking for something better. I would probably ask you, well, how are you paying the bills? And if, I'll tell you another way to get my respect when you tell me, well, I've you know, made sure that I save my money and uh, I'm financially responsible and I don't need a job for the next year. And my family and I are going to be okay for the next year. So I'm looking for something that's really right for me. Both of those men get a great deal of respect for me. The guy freaking out, it's unemployed, it won't take a look. I'm not taking anything that's not, you know, at least X amount of dollars a year. And I can't find anything like that. I'm looking for it. I'm not doing it until I find it. Great. Go find it because it ain't here. I'm just being honest with you. And it's the best thing I can do for you because it's where my experience lies. And I'm telling you, I've had people sit in front of me with all these stories. And I'm telling you the ones that mattered to me enough to really go deeper and determine whether this person was a good fit or not. And it's things that employers generally won't tell you because if they're big companies, some EOE bullshit will get in their way and mess with them. Fortunately for me, I employ, you know, I can count all my employees on one hand. they got to leave me alone. I'm too small. Um, but anyway, that kind of wraps it up. But the other thing I want to encourage you to do while times are good is not just to prep, but think about a way to create secondary income for yourself. You know, starting out with a blog and putting some advertising on it even. But learn, develop a skill set that will produce money for you even when you're not employed. It's, uh, it's one of the more important things that you can do. And you'll learn things that will make you a better employee by building some kind of a secondary income or business for yourself. Most people would look at it and go, if that guy has his own business in addition to his employment, he's probably a worse employee. No, he's a lot better of an employee. Because when the, the employer has to make a tough decision like cutting a salary or cutting an expense or cutting a benefit, he looks at it and goes, I understand. When he can't get a raise because the employer is matching his Social Security payments, and at the end of the year he looks at his self-employment income, let's say he made $10,000, and he has to pay double Social Security on that because he has to match his own because it's self-employment, he goes into his office and looks at the 20 employees in there and goes, gee, my boss pays this on everybody. He understands it. And he'll work harder. And he'll learn things that will apply at work. I actually encourage people that work for me to have something of their own. And I'm encouraging you to do that as well. It's a good thing to do. And you may screw it up for the first couple of years until you figure out what you really want to do. And my best advice there is follow your passion. If you follow your passion, eventually you'll sort it out. If you do something because you think it's a good market or a good opportunity or it will make you a lot of money, and that's the only reason you're not passionate about it, you'll never get it right, especially as a part-time endeavor. Because you won't work on it at 1 o'clock in the morning unless you're passionate about it. And that wraps today up. And I know this might be a different take on survivalism. 
criticism, but I think it's a situation that real people are dealing with every day right now. And if, if you have a friend that you've been trying to talk to and get them to understand more about prepping and, and, and whatnot, um, this would be a good show to share with them. If you have an unemployed friend that's looking for advice on how to find a job, probably be a good show to share with them as well. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler, it really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.